Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? Doing good as I can, man. I, uh, I think I'm on my third cup of coffee today, so it should be a good one. Yeah, dude. You? I, I've put a limit on myself, so like yesterday, I was having like my fifth coffee of the day, and I'm like just questioning life, and I'm like, hey, we're done with this. I gotta, I'm on my third cup. That's it. I'm like, if I'm going to be isolated for any length of time I need to put a limit on myself or else I'm gonna go insane so I'm also on my third cup this will be my last cup of the day um, but I'm super excited um, about our episode today so I'm gonna bring our guest in right away so today we have Danny Mata on the podcast Danny is an entrepreneur and an owner of athletes potential which is a cash-based physical therapy uh, clinic in Decatur Georgia He's also the owner of the PT Biz, which has a wealth of resources. He has his podcast, the Entrepreneurial Podcast, the Gym PT Blueprint. Um, he has a PT Mastermind Group. Um, most importantly, he's a husband and a father, and we're super stoked to have him on the show. Danny, welcome. Hey, dude, th- that was a good intro. Thanks so much for um, for that. And you guys are big coffee fans, man. I'm only uh, two two cups deep um, right now, but. I do appreciate a good cup of coffee. We have one of those uh, Breville espresso machines. So like we grind beans, you know, my wife can make a strong latte. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to hold off on that milk rations and whatnot uh, for the kids right now. But uh, I appreciate that, man. But if I go over three, dude, I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm shaky. I'm in a, you know, inefficient. Uh, and I can't be around my family. I'm too much for them. So you guys must be able to handle it better. Well, I kind of see you as like a naturally highly energetic person with all the stuff that you're doing. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I didn't even, what's funny is I didn't even start drinking coffee until, or anything with caffeine until I was, uh, until I was in grad school and I didn't drink coffee at all. I would just chew on, um, caffeine gum because (laughs) like, I'm not, I'm not, I, I had to like work to get through school. Like some people are like, dude, I breezed through. I did not. I had to study my ass off just to get through. And so I would chew on like caffeine gum as I was, as I would stay up really late. And, um, I didn't actually start drinking coffee until probably my last year of grad school. Then we moved to Hawaii. Uh, and we were there for about three years and the coffee culture there is awesome. And they have really, really good coffee. And I, I started to, uh, uh, develop a strong appreciation for, uh, you know, for, uh, for, for coffee. And, and ever since then it's an addiction. I t- for sure cannot kick. Yeah. Did man, you say but- Hawaii? Yeah. I didn't realize that, that it was like a big thing out there. Oh man. Like Kona coffee. You guys should try some Kona coffee. You, you got to make sure it's a hundred percent Kona coffee. It can only, it only comes from the big Island and it's a very specific climate. That's like a certain amount of altitude on one side of the Island. So not to get geek out on you guys too much, but the Big Island has like 11 of the world's 13 climates on this one island. It's insane. And there's only one little spot where they can grow Kona coffee. So if you can find 100% Kona coffee, it's the best coffee in the world, in my opinion. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's on the list then. There you go. 
Um, yeah, so Danny, just to jump into it, I, I was trying to figure out where to start with you in terms of this interview. And I think the best place is if we take it back to like your first entrepreneurial experience as a 10 year old, I think that's a great way to lay out the foundation <laughs> yeah. for you as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. So, and this is, uh, this, this story is, is, uh, is online too on, uh, if you want to read about it, but, um, yeah. So when I was 10, I was, I was, I'll set the stage for you. I grew up on military basis. So my dad was in the army. Um, so we moved every few years, but it's always, you know, if you've never been on a military base, it's basically like a super secure suburb. Uh, so you're in these government, you know, um, uh, houses, uh, most of them are like dual or quadplexes. Um, and they're small. And I, you know, I had, uh, uh, uh I have an older brother and a younger sister. So we were always, you know, we're always in like a small space here. So we spent a lot of time outside. So we'd constantly be in the woods, uh, building forts or whatever. And, and, um, I was walking my dog Daisy. She's like this little Shih Tzu mix. And, uh, we, we, you know, I walk around the woods, she goes to pee on this tree and in this tree, in this hole is this rolled up magazine. So as a 10 year old, you know, I pull it out and it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a hustler. So I'm like, Holy shit. <laughs> this is amazing. I ran home, tuck it in the back of my pants. Right. And run home run up to my room and hide it underneath, uh, my mattress. Uh, I get up in the middle of the night so that I can, uh, proceed to cut it into individual pictures. Cause in my mind, I thought, well, I don't think anybody's going to be able to give me more than $5 like of my friends. But I think that each one of them probably has a dollar that they could give me for a picture. So I cut it up into individual pictures and, um, the next day at school in the bathroom and in the playground after school, I sold, I, I, saw, I probably sold about 10 of them. The following day was when I sold out. It was my, my, uh, my biggest day. So the next, I think it was probably another 40 or so. I ended up making about $50 in ones um, from, from selling that magazine. And uh, that, was my, that was probably my greatest entrepreneurial moment. If you look at just pure return on investment, because I didn't actually buy anything. Uh, and, but for me, it, it was, you know, I look back on that and it's weird. I've even told, you know, I, my brother knows about it and he's like, there's no way in hell I would have done that. Like, and for me, that was the first thing I thought was make money off it. So I think for, in some ways, there's this idea of, are you born a certain way or can you develop habits? I think you can develop skill set and really anything. But I think for some people, they have this fascination with, um, money. I, I definitely did early on, but more than anything, it was a fascination with my own thing. Like I didn't want to be dependent on family. And, uh, I always had little side businesses I was starting, um, you know, and I had multiple jobs through school and things. And, and so I, I guess it was sort of like a natural transition to eventually do my own thing. It just was, it took a long time to where I formalized it, I guess. Yeah. And that kind of, that lead, that kind of leads to my next question. Cause I've, I've heard you talk about it before and I've heard other like entrepreneurs talk about this idea of being like born with like this entrepreneurial spirit or whether or not you can develop like the characteristics. And it's interesting because from my perspective, like I've never done been that kind of person where like I would go and like think of doing that, but I'm obviously trying to, you know, pursue my own entrepreneurial endeavors. So it's like interesting to hear maybe from your perspective, like what characteristics do you think like people need to, to, to have in order to like pursue that, that, um, that way of, of life, I guess. I think that's a, man, that's a good question. Um, for, I definitely think there's certain people that are just born a certain way. Like this is a great example. I have two kids, 
so my wife and I, they're, you know, like they're not from different parents. They're from the same two kids or two, two, two adults. And they couldn't be more different uh, in terms of their, their personalities. Like my daughter is going to make an amazing employee one day. Like she's going to be super organized. She's going to do exactly what you say. She loves rules. She loves to tell on people when they're not following the rules. And my son is a complete opposite. So she's very similar to my wife and my son's very similar to me. Like, He's already tried to sell plenty of things. He talks his friends into giving him toys uh, in exchange for other toys that he feels like are more valuable. And he has this fascination with, uh, with money. The only way I can get him to focus on math is if it's a money-related question uh, of some sort. And I don't know why it's like that. It's not like he's you know, hurting for money. It's like he, you know, we, we have a good lifestyle. And, and um, I, think, I don't know what it is. I think it's a fascination with creation and a, and a fascination with... Um, uh, I don't know if it's winning. They're very, he's very competitive, but uh, you know, if you sell something, it, you're either winning or losing on one side of it, no matter what. Like, let's say somebody comes to work with you and they're like, Hey, yeah, I got back pain and, but I want to be able to use the healthcare system. So, you know, I, I don't think you guys are the right fit and, and you know, you can really help this person and you're able to have a conversation with them in a, in a, in a really ethical way to explain why you're probably a better fit to really solve that problem and how they're going to get frustrated if they, they go and they work with the, the government system and they're waiting for three weeks to get seen by somebody that doesn't probably have much of an idea of what they're doing anyway. And, uh, and, and then they decide to work with you. Well, you win. You just won, right? Now you have to fulfill on that. But I find that most entrepreneurs are super competitive. Um, and a lot of them are, uh, I think they have some sort of like attention deficit problem. I definitely feel like I do. Uh, and the, uh, here's the other trait, and this is like not a good thing. They're obsessive over certain things. And if not well managed, it can actually create a lot of problems for them outside of their business. They can have this business that's thriving because they're obsessive over a product or a service or whatever. But outside of that, their life sucks. Like they have poor relationships with people. They only are good at one thing. They make a lot of money and they're depressed. And I don't think that's a good place to be either. So finding that balance, I think somebody like, like you that maybe isn't naturally like that, you can build towards that and have a better perspective than somebody that just doesn't know any difference. And they either burn themselves down in the process or they understand how to manage their disease that we're born with probably. Uh, and if unchecked, can cause a lot of other problems. Yeah, it's interesting. I find myself doing that in a lot of ways. Like, um, where I'll have it's sort of like scatterbrain and you just kind of have like things going on everywhere and stuff. I think the trick is like figuring out how to harness that into a way that is somewhat organized, at yeah. least for you. I, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and what's funny is like, I hate structure and I spent seven years in the army, right? So yeah. talk about the, the most structured environment I've ever been in. And, but what we find is like when we do our own thing, it's, it's freeing, right? We're like, Oh, I can do whatever I want. I can start whenever I want. I can see people whenever I want. I can have whatever products or services I want. And you hustle and like, it's all sales and marketing, hustle, 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 hustle. But then once you get to a certain point and you're time poor, you can't, you can't hustle your way out of that. You have to build structure. So the thing that you hated to begin with is a necessary thing for you to be able to, to, to thrive. So, and this is why, you know, like my wife is very risk averse. She's very organized and fortunate for, for me. 
I married somebody that's an ideal fit from a business partner standpoint as well, because she's able to provide the structure and rein me in from being a dumbass and ruin everything. Uh, and, and, and everybody has to get to that point, whether you develop yourself or you have a business partner like that. Uh, but it's just such a funny shift that occurs from like the thing you hate the most, to the thing you need the most. Otherwise you won't be able to do the thing you like the most in the world, which is, you know, your business and work and help people. So I feel like the main motivation there almost needs to be the need to create something too, because it's yeah. like, you know, I mean, I can spend so much time on something that I'm creating myself, you know, but I wouldn't necessarily have that drive for somebody else. Yeah. Um, so maybe that need to create is like the kind of driving force there. I think it is. I, I think it's a huge part of it. And even right now, right? So we're in this COVID-19 pandemic and there's, there's a lot of bad things that, that are occurring. There's no doubt. Like my brother works at a major trauma center in Baltimore. He and his wife both do. And they, uh, she's, she's actually, uh, uh, they're both in emergency medicine, but she's running the COVID floor there. So like they are deep in it, man. And it's, and it's, we, we can't say that there's not a lot of bad stuff happening. There definitely is. But with all this chaos and uncertainty, um, people like, like myself and, and people that enjoy um, chaos, like in some way, uh, I, I've like been super laser focused. I love it. It's, it gives me something to solve. It gives me something to work on. And I'm not always right, but I'll test things and then I'll be wrong and I'll quickly shift to something else and then we'll figure things out. And, and uh, it's weird because like you almost need that, that uh, uncertainty to clarify what you're working on and, and motivate you, you know? And, and when things get easy, it's not as much fun in, and, and we, we hate to see people, you know, being, you know, be hurt or harmed or all the things that are happening. But in a lot of ways there, you, this is where you start to realize when people, some people shut down and they get scared and they worst case scenario, everything. And, uh, they, they just retract, you know, and they get super small. Other people, they look for problems and solutions to those problems. And they look to lead, uh, in some way, whatever, whether it's yourself or your friends or your business. Um, and you won't ever know who you are or what kind of person you are unless a situation like this occurs. So what's so fascinating about this now, people don't have a choice. Like they, everyone is affected right now. So you're starting to find out who are you? Like, what are you made out of? And if you have a business, what I can tell you is what you do right now, there's going to be a rebound from this this isn't the financial collapse of the, you know, uh, of 10 years ago. There's, I mean, to my understanding, and I, we all could be wrong about this, but like the infrastructure of our economy, a world economy hasn't really changed much in the last two weeks. What's changed is everybody has stopped spending money on anything. So it's like, uh, the, the money, uh, that's out there is like a river and it's been dammed up. So now there's this big lake that's been formed because of the dam. And eventually that will come away, go away. And then there's going to be this huge rush of consumers back to the things that they like to do from the get go. So if you can build the infrastructure to capture that on the back end, you're going to be in a really, really good spot with your business instead of being fearful and look at plan A, B, C, D or whatever, like focus on how do you capture that that isn't inevitably going to happen. Uh, that's where people really need to focus. And I think for a lot of folks, you know, if you're not, looking at it through that lens, naturally, you have to, this is where things like this can be so beneficial, right? Like we can change mindset of people. We can change their viewpoint with conversations 
And all of a sudden they can redirect that energy from something really negative and fearful to something like really positive where they're building. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that kind of like, it's interesting you, you say those things because I think like fear and uncertainty are oftentimes things that hold people back from making that step to pursuing their own business. And like, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because like obviously you went from being in the army for like seven years and then transitioned out to like doing your own thing. Like obviously that fear and that unknown space was there for you and you didn't kind of freeze up on it. You took advantage of it and went through with it, but a lot of people get stuck in that middle ground. And I'm just curious to have you kind of talk a little bit about how you can navigate that situation. I think the worst place to be is in that middle space, right? Waiting and nothing good happens there. You know, you're, you're kind of in between and you people know if they need to do something, you know, like I knew, I, I, there's no way I was going to stay in the military. Like I, I would be miserable. And, and I, and I actually enjoyed, I, there's things, there's elements of it. Don't get me wrong. I miss certain elements of the, of the military. Uh, and I don't miss many of them. Uh, you know, things that I had to do that are just redundant and sort of slow systems being forced to move every couple of years, you know, lots of training away from your family, plenty of things. And I, I, I have a lot of colleagues that are stuck in that spot, right? It's like, okay. And, and this is what we're looking at. You know, it's, I, I, if I stay in another 13 years, I have a retirement for the rest of my life, healthcare for me and my family, you know, un, you know, for free for the rest of my life as well, which is not something that we have frequently in the U S like it's a very, it's a really good benefit package, but that's 13 years of my life that I was going to put towards something that I wasn't a hundred percent in on. And so I, I try to tell people, it's like, when you know you have to make a decision and there's discomfort, it's like puking, you know, like we, we've all thrown up and there's a lot of discomfort right before it happens. You know, we're like, oh, this is going to feel terrible. Like, oh, I don't want to do this. And, and then you're throwing up and it's bad for a short period of time, but then you feel a lot better. Like it's out. If you're done with it, you know, like you, you rip the bandaid off and you know, you have to go and do your thing. I mean, like, how do you guys feel? Like, this is probably a perfect example. You've been forced into a position that maybe it's a little faster than what you wanted, but like, do you feel better now? Like then than you did when you were still working for the other company? Yeah. I mean, like when we were making the decision to like pursue our own, our own business, I think we were definitely in that spot. I think this whole situation just like, helps solidify that decision that we've already made was the right decision. But I can definitely attest to like being in that middle ground of like, Oh shit. Like, you know, I'm in this safe spot, but I also see this opportunity to pursue everything that I've kind of wanted to pursue. What do I, what do I do? And it's funny you say like, you know, the decision, what it is already. It's just kind of overcoming that fear or that voice in your head that keeps talking and the way that I kind of tried to approach it was kind of like what you talked about before is like, this is a test to see who I am. And like, I've had many steps in my life that have tested me to see what kind of person I am, whether it's like trying to get into physio school or just other experiences. And I'm like, this is kind of that next step to like test and see like who I really am. And I started to take it from that approach as like, all right, let's go after it. Let's, let's see who I, who I want to, I, I know I want to be this. Can I get there? And how am I going to handle like that decision? Yeah. So that's kind of how I've approached it. 
Yeah. And I think probably the best question to ask yourself is if I don't do this, am I going to regret this? Like, will, will I regret this later on in life if I don't act on this? Right. And if the answer is no, then you shouldn't do it. And if the answer is yes, and we know you have to be honest with yourself. I think that's the other thing is like, we, I, I get it. Look, you might have a family, you might have a job that's, that is, uh, you know, supporting you, but guess what? Right now, plenty of people with families that had good jobs have been let go. And there's, there's no, like, we, we think that this idea of like working for somebody else is safe. It's not, you know, you're, you're very easily replaceable. Uh, and, and I would rather have control over what happens to me than let somebody else have complete control over what that is and then try to figure out what to do afterwards. So, you know, I, I think the easiest thing to do is ask yourself, if you don't do this, will you wish you had when you're old, you know, and you're not, you don't have the time, resources, energy, or whatever to take a chance on yourself. Cause I think for a lot of people, one of their bigger regrets is, you know, not actually taking a chance on the thing that they wish they would have done and many, in many different ways, not just in business. Do you think it's also like people tend to try to sort of rationalize where they are now in that, like, you know, they might not honestly like be honest about the fact that they're not super pumped about where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that for, for sure. And part of it, you know, for, I know for a lot of people that have families in particular, cause when I, look, when I started my practice, uh, Jack was two and Maggie was six months old. So like very young and not, not the, not the ideal time. Right. Uh, so I think for a lot of people, like they find themselves in that situation, they have a family, they have financial commitments. Maybe they own a house. They're providing for other people. And I think for them there, you know, the, the thought process is, this is where I'm at. Okay. This is my role is to provide for these people now. And there's, there's, I think that there is something to be said for that too, you know, in terms of, okay, like, this is where you're at. Maybe you don't love what you do, but, but you, you're able to provide a, a good lifestyle for your family. Um, and it, it, it may not be what you have to do is kind of go out on your own. And, and, and there might be other ways for you to also get some similar elements of that. This is where I think something like, a side hustle can be so beneficial for people. You know, I see this a lot with people that they're like, okay, I have this job, but I really like working with soccer players. So I'm going to, I'm going to start the side hustle where I'm just going to work with soccer. So they get all this uh, personal satisfaction, diversified income, they increase what they're bringing home. uh, And, and they're able to, to, you know, use that creativity that maybe they really want in a unique way. Here's the other thing. Those people with side hustles right now, imagine this, so you have a side hustle where you're making a couple thousand dollars a month. You get let go from your job versus you don't have that. What kind of place are you in mentally, financially? Like it's a completely different ball game than people that are one source of income and all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. And that, that kind of leads into a question that I had um, a little bit later, but I'm going to jump to it now is, is obviously you've ran a successful cash-based PT business. Um, but that wasn't the only lane that you stayed in. You diversified, obviously, your revenue streams by like the podcast, the mentorship program, and all of that stuff. Um, why? Why do you think that's important? And do you think it's important for people in our profession to to do such a such a thing? Yeah. Do, do, so I think there's there's two ways to look at it. First of all, the only reason I did that was because, um, you know, I'm fortunate. You know, my my mentor is Kelly Sturette. And he's 
probably the most successful, he's the most successful physical therapist I know, you know, in terms of impact and also, um, you know, monetarily, right. They have a lot of different things that they're between their gym, their practice, their, you know, between the ready state, between the books they have, physical products, consulting that they do. Um, and Kelly told me once, he's like, Hey man, you want to get to a point where you have six to seven revenue streams, right? And that could be from investments. That could be, you know, that business or job, lots of things. He's like, but that's a really safe place to be. We got to realize for them too, is like he and his wife both come from like fairly, uh, I would call like kind of low income upbringings, uh, you know, and, and uh, never having what they wanted by, by any means. So, you know, they still have that mentality, even though they're wildly successful, which is funny because you talk to them, you could talk to them today, he and his wife, and they're like, we just feel like this could end at any moment. And you're like, you got to be kidding, right? Like there's nobody, I don't think anybody else thinks that, but they do. So they, they hustle all the time and they're just, they're always uh, motivated to continue to push and progress. So when he said that to me, you know, so I was teaching for him as well. So I had, I was teaching, I started my practice. Um, and then I started, uh, actually started getting into digital products back in 2000 uh, and 2015. Um, doing one-off programs for people that, um, had similar problems. And I started selling these on my own, actually online. Um, and, it, and ended up doing pretty well and eventually sold the, the rights to those to the ready state. And they have those same programs on the ready state right now. So, um, so, you know, diving into some of these things early on was out of necessity because of the information and the advice I got. But one thing I can tell you that we caution people with that we work with is let's say you're, you're starting a brick and mortar practice. Um, and there's like, you know, all the COVID stuff's done with or whatever. I think one of the more detrimental things you can do is try to have a brick and mortar, you know, a consulting business, a, you know, digital products business, all these things at the same time, because what you do is you just divide your attention and you don't gain traction. So what we typically recommend is people really focus on trying to build one aspect of their business up before diversifying. Um, and, and sometimes you find yourself in a place where you don't have a choice. Like, uh, with the consulting work that we do, so with our, with our education stuff for, for business, um, you know, and PT biz, that started because I got so many damn emails from people uh, about jumping on a call with me about business that, again, I asked Kelly, I was like, well, what should I do with this, man? Like, I don't want to turn people down. He's like, but it's like time intensive. And he goes, just like put a number on what your time is worth and the right people will say yes and the wrong people will say no. And then you'll, you'll spend time talking to people that are really willing to change. And uh, so I did. And then uh, eventually somebody said yes. And, and ironically, the first person, I think I, I think I told people like, yeah, if you want to spend the day with me, it's like 500 bucks or something like that. And that deterred a lot of people. The first person that said yes is now my business partner in PT biz, Eve Gigi. Like he came from Charleston. I didn't even know what to do. He said yes. And I was like, holy crap, Ashley, I don't know what to do with this guy. So I, I just blocked off uh, three hours in the middle of the day. I had patients in the morning and patients afterward. And then we went and ate lunch and then just like mapped out some stuff on a whiteboard for his business. Um, and he left and, and that, was, that was it. That was the beginning of it. But it was because I basically was trying to deter people because I was trying to focus on my business. And then you start to realize the other thing too, you start to realize uh, need, demand, uh, and what people are willing to you know, pay for as well as the impact you're able to provide. Um, so sometimes it's a matter of seeing those things. I think for a lot of people, they're not, they're not willing to be like open to adding other things on, right? I, I mean, I think to myself, how many people have gotten emails about 
business advice that are in the same place as me uh, three years ago and where we are now and where they are could be dramatically different because we said yes to certain things. Yeah. It's like executing on that, that thought. Like everyone has a lot of thoughts or good ideas, but like executing it and delivering it in a, a way that adds value, I think is the challenging part. Yeah, exactly. To spin off that value thing. I think um, the one thing that I wanted to ask you, and I know you talk about this often on your podcast is, is this whole idea of, of physios valuing, not valuing themselves enough. And I, and I, and I would agree with that. And I'm just like, I'm just curious to dive into like that topic a little bit, because I know you have some good thoughts around like why we should value ourselves more um, than we currently do. Yeah, I think it's a real problem. And a lot of it is because I, I literally just had a call with somebody right before, you know, we jumped on this podcast and you know, she's like charging like $75 a visit. Uh, for an hour and she's driving to people's houses too. So, right. So like 75 bucks a visit concierge driving to your house. So probably taking her two hours, uh, you know, total. So she's making like 30 ish bucks an hour. And I told her, I was like, well, what's, what's a typical massage therapy session for an hour cost where you're at? And she's like about $80. I said, okay. So people are totally fine to pay a massage therapist $80 an hour, but yet you're struggling to find people that you know, can, are, are okay paying you 75 to go, come to their house and work with them for an hour. And, and part of it is that most of our profession just does not know how to engage with people on a way, in, in, in a way, and really it's just sales to, to effectively help people understand where they're at, where they're trying to go and how you can help them get there. And that's, that's probably sales in a nutshell. Like if you can, if you can define where somebody at, where are they trying to go? And then how can you provide a solution to their problem? Everybody wants their problem solved. They don't care about the vehicle. They just want to know that they can get it done. And the other thing that I think we grossly underestimate is how cost-effective we are. Uh, I mean, in systems like your, yours or Australia or, or, or uh, um, England, like physios are prioritized as a musculoskeletal provider frontline. In the army, it's the same way. And the reason they did that and they still do that to this day is because it's super cheap. Like it's the cheapest route. Also, you know, when I was in the army, if you showed up at your primary care doctor's office with acute back pain, they would tell you to go away and to go see the physical therapist. Like I ran sick call for years, years. And we would constantly see people. And the same thing happened with us. You show up at my office and you got like a venereal disease, dude, you're in the wrong spot, man. Go over there. What are you doing? Like, that's not my lane. And so for, for us, what we would see is they would come to us directly. We'd solve a problem faster. We would not gum up the system with the primary care docs that were, there's less of them and their time is, is, is more strapped than ours was in many ways. So like we're efficient and it's cheap. So we can help people avoid many of the surgeries they end up having, uh, avoid a lot of things they need, they end up taking that are bad for them. Um, and, and things that are just masking the problem, right? You get an injection, you don't solve the root cause of that problem. It's not going away you're going to have symptom reduction for a short period of time and they were still going to get frustrated. So what people don't realize is how effectively we can help people get back to things they like in life. That's really where the value is because I had a conversation with a guy, a uh, new patient we had the other day and he's got 10 year history of lower back pain, seen tons of people, right? Um, you know, he's got three kids, you know, we can start getting a conversation about his kids, man. I mean, this is a grown man, grown man, breaking down in my office, talking about how he feels like he's a burden on his wife, 
because he can't get his kids out of the bathtub. Now, you have a conversation with somebody on that level and what you can charge and the, the amount of work they're willing to do, very different versus, hey, I'm a physical therapist. I'm McKenzie trained. They don't fucking care at all. And they're not going to pay for that. They don't care. But if they know you can help me get my pig, pick my kids up so my wife's not having to do this all the time and this is going to go away forever and I'll know how to deal with it if I have a, a cute, you know, re-aggravation, in, right? Take my money. That's basically where people need to be able to go. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think the thing that's challenging, especially for, I mean, even for me being like a younger clinician, and this is something I've learned, you know, from, from consuming your content and then even some other mentors that I've recently been working with is this idea of sales. And I think we don't learn anything about sales and what people do know about sales is it's like some sleazy car dealer that's trying to sell you this car. And my mindset has really shifted with regards to sales and looking at it as a way of like, we have an ability to help this person with what they need. We have the tools and we're trying to sell that. And if we're packaging that or putting it in a way that can actually help them get there, it's like, it's almost a disservice if we don't actually sell that to them or, or provide that to them, which means maybe it is charging a little bit more money. That's actually going to get a return on like their investment, um, into you. So like, I would just like to hear your comments on like your thought with regards to like sales, especially within like the physio or perspective. Yeah. And well, I think it's all relative, right? Like the, the, the funny thing with sales is like, everybody hears that and they think it's a bad thing but do you feel bad about helping somebody get over back pain? I don't. Yeah. I feel fucking awesome. I think it's, it's personally very satisfying. Right. And the, the challenge that we run into is you can't help many people if you can't communicate what you do, how it solves a problem for them and then fulfill on that. Right. So that's the, that's the clinical side. And what most people focus on is let me become a clinical ninja and everything else will fall into place. Now, it definitely helps to be a badass physio. Like if you're a badass physio, you're going to be better off because you're going to have inherent word of mouth, you know, kind of viral referrals if you're really, really amazing. That being said, you're going to have a almost impossible time scaling past yourself because all people know is, oh, you got to go see so-and-so because help, they fixed me. And I think you're also putting yourself in a place where, you are missing out on the opportunity to help a lot more people because sales is just the commitment to a future-based outcome. Like it's trust, you know, for, for me, you know, and, and this is the case with PTs, the case with uh, when we work with people from a, from a business development standpoint, it's not like they say, okay, here's money. And then instantly they have this outcome. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, there's work that needs to be put in and there's effort and, the, the best way to get somebody to put effort in and decrease the likelihood of them falling off is to charge money for it. And not just a little bit either. Like I, I, I had this, uh, you know, question, or I had this, this conversation with somebody the other day that is one of our mastermind members that's like, Hey man, I, I'm thinking about charging like 50 bucks a month to train people. And I was like, all right, first of all, um, how, how motivated would you be you know, if, if, if you didn't do this person said, and you're only paying 50 bucks a month, like would, would that motivate you enough to really, really do some diff, difficult things? Cause what we're asking people to do is change their habits, eat better, sleep more, exercise more things that they don't really want to do versus what if you charge that person a thousand dollars a month? Like 
what do you think the likelihood is, uh, which is going to be a better outcome? $50 a month or $1,000 a month? Like who's going to work harder for whatever you say? Any same information, same person. Like realistically, who do you think would get a better outcome? Yeah, $1,000 a month. Unless you hate money, you know, unless you're just like, please take this as it's a burden on me. Like this is not happening that often. And like, so that's what's so such, such a funny thing about it. But what you really have to look at too is what's the alternative? This is the way I look at it. Like I, I want to help you be an informed consumer and make the right decisions because I know what's going to happen if you don't. Like this guy that I talked to the other day, I'm like, look, man, you're going to end up imaging that's not necessary injections in your back that are not going to help. You have a movement-based problem. You pick shit up like an idiot. Okay. Like we'll fix that problem. Back pain goes away. Injections not changing that. Back surgery is the last step for you. You're going to go to a back, you know, spinal specialist that you've tried all these things. So your last resort is going to be that, which we know many of those have to be redone. So that later in your life, you're going to get a second one. And if I let you leave this office and you're not committing to me to solving your problem, and I'm committing to you to solving this problem, then we're going to go down this path that you don't want to go to. And I don't want you to go to. So let's go ahead and commit to solving this problem now. Now that's the way And people ask me all the time. They're like, how do you get, how do you, how do you charge? You know, we charge two twenty a visit, which is, is not even that high. And, you know, in, in comparison to many other cities and things and, uh, and what people will pay for, for plenty of other things. But I get this all the time. They're like, how do you get people to commit to you for this? Like you don't take their insurance. It's like, cause I can talk to them about what they're trying to do and not do. And then we can have an honest conversation. And that also goes both ways where if somebody's not appropriate for my office, for what we do, we refer them to the right person. So we gain a lot of trust with people because we, we always make the decision that's best for them, not what's best for our uh, practice revenue and turning people away happens and is necessary because sometimes you get people that slip through the cracks that shouldn't be there. You know, and, and that's really important to understand that as well because persuasion and influence and sales is a skill you can develop to get people to do what you want them to do more often. But if you do that with the, the lens of not being ethical and consistent with people the right way, you're doing yourself no good long-term. That will come back and create a lot of problems for you. Yeah, that transparency is key. I think for success for like you as a business and, and for the, the outcome of the, of the client. Yo, I'll give, here's a perfect example. I talked to a lady, we, we, we would do, and we still do these. I don't do these many uh, very often, but phone consultations with people like, hey, if you're thinking about working with us, let's jump on the phone for like 15 minutes and chat to see if you're a good fit for what we do. And so I, I talked to this lady and she was like, her friend had told her to come see me. And I started talking to her and she's got super vague symptoms. She just changed the medication up. Around the same time, she had some symptoms. She started taking a different antidepressant having all this like vague shoulder pain. And uh, I'm like, well, did you do anything with your shoulder? Like nothing, right? And I told her, I was like, look, I think you need to go see your primary care or, or whoever prescribed this to you. You might have, be having a, like a contraindication or, or a, a, an, an issue with, with that where it's, a, it's causing a pain symptom and you have nothing wrong with your shoulder. I want to make sure that they rule that out before you come and see me. And she got pretty angry. Like she, on the phone, she's like, you're telling me that this, could be from a drug that so-and-so, you know, prescribed to me. And she's like, I just don't think that's the case. And, and like angry, like I've never had somebody be so angry about me telling them I didn't want to work with them in a very uh, professional way. And I was like, listen, I will work with you. If your primary care doc says that, that you're good. Like, I don't want you showing up in my office and it's a waste of your time and mine. So she, she 
hangs up, done, whatever. Uh, two weeks later, she emails me and she says, hey, I just want to let you know, I saw my doc, we changed my medication up, my shoulder pain is gone. And she has sent me, I've never seen this lady in person ever. She's probably sent us a dozen people over the course of the last few years because I told her I didn't want to work with her, right? And, and it, because it was the right thing to do because mm-hmm. it's one of the, the reasons why we have to understand that side of things too. We're not the right fit for everybody. So when you, when you start to take these, these decisions and it's hard whenever you make no money. I think this is where it's, when you're starting out and you're like, dude, I could use an office visit, you know, I could use a couple hundred bucks more, but you have to take that lens of what's the best long-term solution and stick to your, like your, your compass has to be very, very, you know, specific. Like this is the right thing. This is the wrong thing. I do this with everybody. And if you do that, the long game, the long-term positive benefit of that is exponentially more than that little visit that you would have gotten on the front end. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you bring that story up because like that's the difference and that's why like you're able to charge what you charge and you're able to be as successful as you are without taking insurance because of the, those things. And I think you like sharing those stories and more people starting to take that perspective just allows our profession as a whole to be more valuable and successful. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And the, the last thing I would tell you about sales, by the way, is this, this, there's a few things. It's like people will pay for a fast outcome. This is why, like, if you look at, I don't know if they do these a lot where you guys are at, but um, stem cell injections are really popular in our area. And I mean, it's debatable whether those are like really effective or not. Right. I mean, I've seen people that have had a great out, had, have had a great outcome from them. I've seen people that have had no change whatsoever. Um, but you know, in our area, there are anywhere between three to $5,000 per injection. And you know, I, I, one of my best friends is a ortho PA that does a ton of these and you know, the, the wholesale cost, they buy a lot of them. The wholesale cost for a packet, which they get two injections out of is about 150 to $200. So the materials, let's call it 200 bucks for two shots. So, you know, for, for one packet, they're getting six to $10,000 worth of, and, and insurance does not cover these. So six to $10,000 return on investment, right? So for me, I look at the reason that they can charge that is because people can say to themselves, oh, I can get an injection and then problem solved. Like that's all I have to do. So, so their effort is very low. The procedure doesn't take very long. So they're willing to pay a lot more. You know, what we do takes a lot of time it's a lot of effort. So the value, perceived value is very low, even though that we can get the same outcome, if not a better outcome. So we have to understand the economics that we're dealing with as well. And the more we can take that lens to it, and we can even use that to our advantage. Because I tell people all the time, like, look, this might sound like a lot, but let's help you avoid these other things that are really maybe not a bit and prove to us that you actually need that as a next step. Um, versus you go that route, nothing changes. Then you show up the door and you still got to work with me for this much. Yeah, I know for sure. A hundred percent. Um, Danny, I don't want to take too much more of your time. So why don't, uh, why don't you just wrap it up by like letting people know where they can find, uh, find you, find your website, find your podcast. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Instagram, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of hate social media, but I kind of have to do it because, <laughs> 
it's where people interact. But uh, yeah, on Instagram, it's just Danny Matei PT is, uh, is, is, is my um, account. Um, you know, if you're interested in this stuff, I wrote a book that's free. All you got to do is just like pay for it to get to you. It's, I think it's like seven bucks or eight bucks, something like that. Um, you go to finsurancebook.com. Like that's where, that's where that's at. There's a lot of good information in that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the last thing I would say is, uh, our company, you know, physical therapy biz, if you go to physicaltherapybiz.com, we've got some cool training there, uh, resources. And, and, and a lot of it is really, would depend on what you're looking at, right? Or what, what are you looking for? What kind of help do you want? If you're just thinking about, Hey, is this even a viable option for me? I would go straight to the book. You know, the, the book is an easy place. And, and, and also my podcast, the PT Entrepreneur Podcast, um, totally free. Our goal is really like, hey, let's, let's just share ideas and thoughts and get people on there that are similar, uh, you know, that, that can help out. And, uh, and for people to have access to that without having to, you know, spend a ton of money, um, without having to go to business school, or any of those things, like just tactical, what's actually working, not necessarily theory of whatever I learned in my, you know, class said, um, that, that's, that's, that's our goal. So you can, you can find us in, in those different areas, but I mean, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always fun to be on the other side of this versus, um, interviewing somebody or, or doing, doing the podcast. Uh, and you guys did an awesome job. Thanks for all the great questions and, 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 you know, having me on. And I, uh, I hope people during this time too, I think content's even more important because they're so unsure about what the hell is going on. It's such a strange time that, uh, you know, us, we don't have a conversation and be like, maybe this guy's fallen. I don't know, but I can still focus on these things and you can too. And, you know, eventually when everything works itself out, you'll be in a better place. Yeah, no, appreciate you taking your time coming on chatting. Um, yeah, guys, definitely go and check out his stuff. I would also recommend starting with the book if you're thinking about it. I, I read the book and it's great. Um, and it kind of can lead you to pursue on further stuff that, that Danny has. So yeah, thanks again, Danny. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks guys. Okay, see ya.